I know what it's like. You apply for, I, I think I must have applied for like hundreds of jobs. Um, and a lot of the time you don't even get a response and it's sort of really demoralizing because you don't know what you're doing wrong because mm. no one's giving you any feedback. Um, so I think it's important just, you know, keep pushing, keep, don't give up um, and just make sure you just keep developing yourself in the meantime. Welcome to the Find the Gap podcast, where we're going to focus on the health and well-being of the support personnel and practitioners within high-performance sport. This will act as a platform for practitioners to share their own insights and experiences that have helped them to progress to where they are today, as well as being a safe environment which they can touch upon moments of vulnerability and other emotional battles that they've had to overcome in order to be successful. My name is Sam, and thanks for joining me on Find the Gap podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software that performance coaches all around the world are using to build programs, distribute workouts, and track athlete progress. It is the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, sports physios, gym owners, schools, and universities. The platform includes multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting features. Coaches also have the access to consultation with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up for the promo code FTG to start your 30-day free trial. So on this episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Jake Reeve. And Jake is the lead youth phase sports scientist at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Jake is just transitioning to this role recently, so it'd be good to see his insights and in transitioning into roles and also talk to his about his experiences moving from roles within COVID and getting in the industry in the first place. So without any further ado, here is the episode with Jake. Um, yeah. Sweet, cool. Yeah, Jake, mate, at 7 a.m. your time over there in the UK. Thank you very much for jumping on this morning slash this evening for me uh, for having a bit of a chat. Uh, but how, how you doing? Did you sleep well? You got all good? Yeah, yeah, really good. So, like I say, just dropped my daughter off at nursery this morning. Um, weather's really nice here, so looking forward to uh, speaking to you and then enjoying the rest of my day. Mate, and 30-something degrees, right? And we're sitting here. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Should be the other way around, us being in Melbourne and you're up in Wolverhampton. Yeah, very unusual for us. <laughs> I, I woke up yesterday morning with frost on the windscreen. It took me about 15 minutes to get going. <laughs> um, but mate, just to get us rolling into it, can you give me the uh, the typical kind of introduction on yourself? Um, you know, get some int- uh, educational background, maybe some um, some work history, and little steps to where you are, where you progressed to where you are today. Yeah, cool. So quite quite a long story, really. Um, so I'm Jake. I'm 29 years old. Um, I was born and raised in Leicester. Um, and I'm proud to say I'm a Leicester City fan as well. Um, you know, Premier League champions 2016 and all that. <laughs> um, so I've got a fiance, Becca. Uh, so I've been with her for eight years. And then I've got a daughter, Lola, who's almost two. Congrats. Um, Thank you. Um, I'm really into my music as well. So I'm a big sort of Oasis Liam Gallagher fan. Love a bit of karaoke as well. So I think it's really important to be able to, you know, let your you let your hair down a bit, mm-hmm. um, especially in this industry, really. Um, with regards to my education, so I didn't sort of start off, you know, going to university straight away from college. So I actually did a level three personal trainer qualification um, straight after my GCSEs. 
Um, worked as a personal trainer for around five years uh, before I decided to enrol in a BSc sports science degree um, at Derby University. Um, so that was in 2016. Um, and I actually applied through clearing. So I, I think I applied in, in June and I actually started in September. So it was sort of almost like a last minute sort of decision, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so during my degree, I sort of focused on strength and conditioning. Um, so that was my, that was where I wanted to get to. Um, and during my degree, I gained some experience with Leicester Tigers and Derby County. So that was at uh, a young grade group. So sort of anywhere between nine and like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of like my first taste in working um, in an elite sport environment. Um, absolutely loved like the experience that I gained there during my undergrad. Um, so that, so I knew that once I completed my undergrad, I wanted to continue, you know, developing within, within that industry really. Um, so after that, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to complete a fully funded MRES um, with Leicester City. So with, with my team. Um, so that was an amazing experience. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there as well, I worked with the professional phase. So predominantly I worked with the 18s and 23s. Um, so obviously, you know, quite a high pressure environment. These are the players that now they're beginning to be paid. They're trying to progress onto the first team. Um, and so, I, yeah, I completed my research uh, with those age groups. Uh, unfortunately, that was that was during the COVID year. So uh, I began that in sort of September 2019, uh, and then COVID struck in March 2020. Uh, so obviously, all elite sports shut down. Uh, so my placement was cut short. So I finished in. Uh, March 2020 there mm-hmm. um, but I think the experience that I gained at Leicester definitely helped shape like the coach I am today so even though I wasn't there for long there's a lot of experience that I gained there which has helped me to become you know who I am really mm-hmm. um, they were really big on incorporating multi-sport into their sessions uh, particularly with the younger age groups uh, and this is something that I've you know continued to do now now at Wolves um so yeah really enjoyed obviously my time there mm-hmm. um eventually after that so obviously covid cut um cut that short and then you know finding a job in general was, was really challenging after that time so i actually had to accept a job at a call center during covid just to try and get by to try and support mm-hmm. my family mm-hmm. um i worked in a call center until I think it was around May 2021. So I worked in a call centre for sort of almost a year um, before I actually accepted a job um, in Cork, Ireland. So I relocated to Ireland uh, to work as head of strength and conditioning at a private facility uh, called One Arena. Um, Really good experience, really enjoyed sort of leading like a team there. Um, And then in September 2021 was when I was offered the opportunity to, you know, return back to football um, as under 12 sports scientists for Wolves. Uh, so, you know, really grateful of that opportunity that I got the chance to, you know, one, move back to England to be with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two, you know, return to a sport that I'm really passionate about. Um, and then work, so worked it as the under 12 sports scientist for, for a season. Uh, and then in July this year, I uh, was promoted to under 16 sports scientist, which is, which is where I currently am. Um, so long story long, that's, uh, that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It sounds like a good, like a very, um, eventful journey. 
<clears throat> and um, I just wanted you to touch on um, uh, your experience with the call center um, and yeah. what you were going through uh, mentally, because I can understand with all your studies, all your your uh, um, own demands of wanting to be within the S&C field, let alone in football, but anywhere. Um, you know, how, how, how was that for you mentally being, um, you know, stuck in a, in a call center on a phone sitting at a desk? Yeah, I think at, at first I was just grateful to, you know, get a job that to bring some money in. Mm. Um, it, you know, I was at the time my partner was pregnant. So it was, I was just met so anxious about bringing money in and being able to support my family. Yeah. Um, so at first I was just glad to have that, you know, gradual income really. Um, it was then sort of around Christmas time where it be- started to become really challenging, like on a daily basis, mm. uh, start, you know, questioning why, why I'm there, why am I not getting any interviews? Why is no one employing me? Um, mm. so yeah, it became, came a bit of a slog towards the end. Um, which is why then I, like I say, decided to, to move to Ireland to take the opportunity uh, to work at one arena because I, I just literally couldn't do it anymore to myself. So I was just, I was just miserable basically. Mm. Um, so I just had to take the leap, you know, move to Ireland just to, to, you know, uh, be employed within the industry full time. And then I think if, potentially if I didn't take that role, I, you know, I might not be where I am today. So I'm really glad that I went through, you know, that whole process really. Um, yeah. Who were the people that aside from obviously your partner? who was massive, I'm sure. Uh, but who are some of the people that were the most important that helped you progress through that time and helped you progress now as a professional in the SNC field? Yeah, I think um, my partner's been amazing throughout. So she's, at, we've actually sort of relocated. So like I say, we're from Leicester. Um, so we've moved, we now live in Telford, which is sort of just west of Birmingham. So she's relocated. She's mm. um, quit her job, got a new job around this area. Um, so she's been like amazing, really, really supportive um, of everything that I've done, really. Um, I think, to be honest, just her. Mm, yeah, <laughs> she's, she's like, realistically, I'm, I'm not, when it comes to family, I don't really sort of, you know, speak to my immediate family much. I think my friends are really supportive of, you know, what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my, my friends and my partner really have been really good helping me sort of get through that, that difficult patch, really. Yeah. And if we look at COVID being, it's, it's such an event that's so much bigger than, you know, what you want to do, for example, hence you looking for work outside for what you've studied for, you know, trying to get that income. Cause it's just, some things are bigger than football. Some things are bigger than what you want to do. Um, but what's, um, uh, what's such an obvious thing, but it's not really talked about much um, in your, not, not your, but just a lot of people in this industry traveling around a different jobs different countries different locations and then obviously having to travel um take their family along with them kids wives partners uh, and there's their stories as well of how they cope with things you know picking up everything yeah. and following you and having faith in you that this is you know this is what we're going to this is how we're going to make it work through your work um and i think that doesn't get enough recognition i think that doesn't get enough voice so it's that's it's very common for what the, the guys i've been talking through on this podcast which is it's good to start talking about that a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. just a little side note I want to bring up. And that's amazing what your, your partner's done and you guys have done. So good on you. Um, <laughs> and then speaking about that, moving more so into your role, um, what, what are, what's the importance of like building some relationships that are you know, like obviously necessary for you to, to grow? Yeah, so I think 
in sports science, particularly in football, um, it's essential to build good relationships with your, your multidisciplinary team. Um, so, for example, in terms of like the, the people that I work closely with, so you've got performance analysis, psychologists, um, nutrition, player care, scouts, mm-hmm. and then also sports scientists in other age groups. So particularly at Wolves, um, we like to push the stronger players up to play with the older age groups. Yep. So it's really important that myself and the, the sports scientists in the older age group have really good communication lines. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, things fall through the gaps, you know, so how much load they're doing and, and so on. Um, but I think sort of the most important relationships from a, a staff perspective um, with the football coaches and, and physios. Um, so in particular, I work really closely with the football coaches to plan the field-based sessions. Mm-hmm. Um so this this can be really challenging, basically. So they'll we'll have like a physical focus that we want to achieve, and they'll have a technical focus that they want to achieve. Um, however, it might not correspond. So, for example, I might say I want you to do this much high speed running today. Well, they might say I actually want to do more than that. So we have to come together to find a solution that works for, for both parties, um, and obviously in the back of of both our minds were thinking what's best for the players. So it is always a challenge, particularly with the younger age groups as well, because they are a lot more resilient to injury. Um, so they can be pushed a little bit more, but we've always got to have their you know best interests in mind, really. Mm. Um, and then with regards to sort of injuries, so like I say, physiotherapists, uh, I work really closely with them. Um, so for, for longer term injuries, the physio will sort of like take the lead on the rehabilitation during like their early stages. Mm-hmm. And then I will gradually get involved sort of in the, in the rehab process. So when they start to lift heavier, when they can start getting out on the field and running, that's when I'll kind of take over. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always really important that we meet regularly to keep in the loop really. So are they having any niggles? Um, have they, are they looking okay, how they move and so on? Um, so it's really important that you have, a, a close relationship with them. Um, but I'd say one that probably gets, doesn't get enough, well, doesn't get highlighted enough is the relationship that you have with the players. Um, so if you if you can't build rapport with them um, and you can't get them to buy into what you're trying to achieve, then, you know, all your education, your research, all your amazing coaching points that you use, they're, they're effectively irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um so I think you need the players to value what they're doing. Now that that's the challenging part because, of course, a footballer is going to value playing football because that because that's what they want to do. You know, they might not value doing a squat in the gym or doing a sharp change of direction unopposed. Or you know, um, so I think what I've done, which has sort of helped that, is um, show them the benefits that we can have on their performance. Um, so I like to be really open with all my players. So to start with, if I have a specific intervention for them, then I'll try and rationalize it um, so that they understand it. So I might say to a player, okay, we've identified you've got weak glutes and knee valgus. That might mean absolutely nothing to them. Mm-hmm. But in simple terms, I can say, this is going to cause a you know heightened risk of injury for you. So what we've done is create a 15 minute plan for you to complete at home two days a week, that's going to help reduce your injury risk and, you know, keep you on the field for, for longer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's really important to 
translate information in a way they understand and put some value onto that information as well. There's no point just handing them a program and say, do this. Cause you know, if I was 16, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and then another way is um, I like to share sort of their data with them as well. So whether it's testing data um, or GPS match reports, I think it's important that they can see the progress that they make um, and where they sit like within the group as well. Cause I think, you know, it motivates them to do better um, if they can see what we're actually doing with all this data. So I think an, an issue that I've seen across football or in, across some elite sport is we collect all this data, we keep it to ourselves and we keep it really close to our chest, but we don't show the athletes or players um, what, what we do with it, really. Mm. And I think that's an important way of get, like helping, helping buy-in, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'd want to really, really jump on that <clears throat> uh, thing you talked about, the relationship with the players. Uh, and well, I've got a few things I want to add on to that. Yep. But um, what, where do you feel there's obviously showing them TPS data, showing them exercise routines, things like that, and, and collecting their um, uh, injury history, all that kind of stuff that's to do with performance. But how important is, especially being involved with youth athletes, how is it important uh, to track, you know, their mental wellness as well? And how do you, how does that help you build relationships with them? Like, is it easy to recognize if they're having a bad day, if something's going on at home? Um, is that something you look for? Why, why and why not? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think um, under 16's level, um, we don't as of yet sort of track like wellness data. Um, so how well did you sleep? How are you feeling? Are you sore and so on? So that begins at under 18's level. Um, but it's something that we are trying to bring down to our age groups. Um what we at the club, we have uh, a couple of psychologists for the academy. So they will regularly complete sort of like workshops with the players um, mm. to kind of assess what well, or almost inform them of different ways of managing anxiety, uh, managing their feelings. And also at, at their age, you know, they've got their GCSEs coming up. They have a lot of pressures elsewhere. So I think it's important to to build a relationship so those players can talk openly to you about maybe what, what's concerning them. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think sometimes we can just from a performance perspective, we can just say, Oh, they're, they're training poorly today because they can't be bothered. Well, what's actually going on in the background? Is there something else, you know, that, that they're worrying about um, in under 16s, you know, they have contract decisions coming up. So, under 18s level is where they'll get a scholarship where they, you know, they'll get a two year contract. They'll begin to be paid effectively. They're like a professional footballer really. Mm. So I think, you know, the pressures of that throughout the season can begin to mount on them. And it's what can we do to one identify if a player's feeling, um, you know, anxiety. And if so, how do we help them to, you know, address that or embrace it almost really. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, like, is there a way that you can be um, like a, a middleman between you know the most professional um, practitioner within your within your sport, and also being a you know someone for them to talk to and be a, a friendly a friendly face to chat to? Uh, is there a way to balance that in your role? Yeah, I think I've always gone down. I'm quite a strict coach. <laughs> to be fair, I think the players players would say. But the thing is, I'm, I'm I really do like to have 
you know, a good time and have a good laugh while I'm at work with the players. And as long as they're they're sort of buying into what I'm doing or mm-hmm. um, applying themselves, then I am that really fun coach that they can come and talk to. And, you know, I can build a relationship on a, a more personal level. But I think, like you say, finding that balance is really challenging. A lot, a lot of the younger players within the group probably see me as like just a really harsh, strict coach. Um, whereas some of the older ones, I think they appreciate what what I'm trying to what I'm trying to do really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's all about getting to know them, them getting to know you, and like I said previously, getting them to uh, understand why we're doing what we're doing. So why am I being quite strict on them during this particular part? It's because I want them to progress as as a player and, and I've got their best interests at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then being a strict coach, obviously you take some of the confidence in yourself to be able to do that, you know, to know what you're yeah. doing and then do it in that uh, in that manner. But um, is there any part of your role where you think you lack in confidence? Um, I think in general, because I've been around sport for so long and I've played sport for so long, <clears throat> I've always kind of taken kind of a leadership role so when I played football when I was younger I was always sort of quite loud and boisterous in the changing rooms um and just in general in social situations I'm quite like that as well um but I'll probably do my friend's head in to be honest (laughs) but um but I think I definitely could get better from in coaching I think I'm I'm quite good on a a coaching basis I think I could get better at my one-to-one stuff so even though I've worked as a personal trainer um, one-to-one in the past, my clients were all obviously a lot older, you know, they're all adults. So we find a lot of common ground to, to conversate mm-hmm. about during sessions. Whereas when you're working with younger players during one-to-one sessions, it's finding something that you're able to, you know, talk about, you're able to um, encourage them. Um, it, yeah, I find, I find that probably the most challenging part, really, I'd say. Um, okay, so uh, what about uh, for a practitioner yourself uh, transitioning from uh, your role, even from the call center to over in Ireland, um, or we can talk about from Ireland back over to the UK, oh, so the UK back into England. Um, yeah. What What are the kind of the obvious struggles apart from you know moving, literally moving location? What are some other kind of like struggles you have to go through when uh, you transition from a role, and maybe let's let's think about the current role into into Wolverhampton? Yeah, so when I uh, transitioned from the role in Ireland, I went from sort of a a head strength and conditioning coach position where I would oversee and and deliver the whole program. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of like my philosophy. Um, Other coaches would basically deliver my program to, um, it was was a small group session. So there was up to eight people uh, in a group. I would, design the program for six weeks, they would deliver that and then we'd progress it and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, when moving to back to the UK to work for Wolves, I was then obviously more sort of part of a, a huge sort of team of staff. Um, and I had to sort of take on board the philosophy um, that the club had. I think with myself, my, my own philosophy is that I believe that players should be taught to move competently um, and work through a continuum before they then move on to sort of like heavier lifts. Mm-hmm. Whereas the club likes to progress players through that a little bit quicker. Um, and I found that that sort of that clash was 
quite challenging for me to deal with at first, especially going from somewhere where I was the head to then, mm. you know, following somebody else's program. Mm. Um, I thought that was, that was quite challenging for me, I'd say. Okay. So yeah, having someone else, like someone else's, uh, not obviously you're the lead now, but um, yeah. having someone else, someone else's program, someone else's system, and you found that transition hard. Yeah, I think you can always put your own sort of stamp on a philosophy. So, um, for example, the club like to get players lifting heavy as soon as possible, um, whereas I would like to take a, a sort of much slower, almost meticulous approach to it. So I think when I moved to under 12s, obviously that, that player's got a long, long time before they need to be back mm. squatting. They can back squat f- for their whole football career. I like to incorporate lifts that are a little bit more um, challenging for them, like stability-wise and a lot more cognitive, cognitively engaging. So I might do like BOSU squats, a bit more stability exercise, more coordination-based movements. And I think at a young age, you'll get more buy-in for that from them as well. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, there was definitely a bit of time adjusting to you know the, the club's philosophy um, in comparison to mine, really. Well, and, and and again, personally, from my experience, that sounds like it's probably the, the smarter way to go, especially with with teenagers uh, when they're yeah. when they're already in that like, kind of like um, stage of growth, um, taking it to the small, getting the get the smaller way, getting the fundamentals ticked off, and then moving forward. Um, but when you when you have a clash, let alone a clash in philosophies, or a clash with someone who is, um, let's say, above you in the ranks. Okay, just inverted commas for people who are listening in. Um, <laughs> how how do you kind of uh, how do you how do you deal with that? Like, do you do you have a do you try and have an open conversation? Um, uh, let, and let's say this example here when you feel like the philosophies clashed. Uh, how was uh, what were some techniques you try to use to 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 figure that out? Yeah, I think it's important to once again it's important to rationalise your your philosophy and why you want to. Um, you know, train the players in this way. I think I'm sort of quite strong-willed that I wanted to stay true to my own philosophy whilst not deviating too far from from the club's philosophy, really. Mm. Um, So I would say that we've sort of met in the middle. So I've definitely incorporated some more of those more functional, um, stability-focused sort of movements towards the start of their Mm programme. But then I've probably pushed them through the continuum a little bit quicker than I probably would have liked. Um, so it's almost like, say, finding a middle ground where I don't, I stay true to myself, but I also don't deviate too far from the club's philosophy uh, in my programme as well. Yeah. And I think, especially for the older age groups, I understand why they want me to, you know, push them through a little bit quicker. Because if we've got, say, under 16s players, even under 15s players that might be getting the opportunity to train with the 18s, they need to be ready to complete those, you know, heavier, more challenging lifts like a back squat, front squat, deadlift, and so on. So with, with the older players, with the older age groups, I do understand um, the, the rationale behind that. With the younger age groups, I was I was a little bit more, not stringent, but I, I didn't deviate as much as I have now, I would say. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, what would you say is your first experience with anxiety? Yeah, so um, I think my first experience was <laughs> during COVID, really. When so when I found out my fiance Rebecca was pregnant, so that was in March 2021. So like I said, uh, COVID had just hit, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just filled with anxiety on a daily basis. So because, you know, we didn't know much about the virus, what the effects it had is particularly on, you know, people that are pregnant. Um, I, I was, I had to go out and do sort of everything for us. So, you know, went shopping, pick up prescriptions and whatnot. Um, and every time I left the house, I was petrified. So mm-hmm. I was just scared that I was going to catch COVID and, you know, put her at risk. I must have, my hands were red raw for months, <laughs> just, you know, continually washing my hands. Um, yeah. Financially, I didn't know how, we were, you know, we were going to get by. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after, after a, a probably, well, it was over a year of searching for a job. I didn't, I didn't think I'd ever get a job as a sports scientist, basically. Um, and that, you know, filled me with anxiety. I thought mm-hmm. I've done four years at university. Um, I left, you know, work as a personal trainer where the money was pretty good. Um, but I sort of left that. I committed to being a sports scientist, going to university. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think it'd ever happen, but, you know, I persisted and luckily, you know, I am where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's one thing that I would say to, you know, newly qualified sort of sports scientists or students that, um, you know, are coming towards the end of the degree or just finished. Um, I know what it's like. You apply for, I, I think I must have applied for like hundreds of jobs. Um, and a lot of the time you don't even get a response and it's sort of really demoralizing because you don't know what you're doing wrong because mm-hmm. no one's giving you any feedback. Um, so I think it's important just, you know, keep pushing, keep, don't give up. Um, and just make sure you just keep developing yourself in the meantime. Um, so I had, you know, a few clients on the side. So I trained um, sort of a group of children um, who were, I think, like seven to 10 years old. And I think like this was when I was working at the call center. So I did some sort of like private work then. And just that group of children that I trained really helped my coaching skills working with young athletes. And then that's, potentially how I then eventually got got the job at Wolves as well so a combination of my experience in Ireland and working with younger athletes I think those two combined helped me push through that phase and you know get get that position at Wolves really. Mm. Well what would you say is some things that like you know meditation whatever tools or techniques you thought of that would kind of give you that reprieve while you were having those anxious feelings in lockdown, you know, when you found out about your, mm. uh, your girlfriend's pregnancy, when you, um, you had those anxieties about making it in sports science, um, did you have anything that you used to, you know, give yourself some time and space um, to give you some uh, relief? Yeah, I think I, I made the mistake of during the early stages of lockdown, I would literally look and apply for jobs every single day. Um, and then, the issue is when you do that, you're very rarely seeing anything out there and Mm. it just becomes very demoralizing because you think, where is the opportunity going to come from? Um, I think with regards to dealing with sort of the pressures of it, I'm, (laughs) I'm very much have a bit of a rant, um, then have a little bit of reflection uh, and then like reset from there. So Mm. I've tried meditation before, um, couldn't really sort of get used to it. Mm-hmm. um i'm quite hyperactive i would i would say yeah um so i'm much um i i'm best at dealing with things by having a bit of a run have a bit of reflection and then reset and move on mm-hmm. yeah 100 and it's, it's amazing how many people are so you're so common to the many people i've talked to on this is in meditation sitting still 
you know, listening to um, to waves crashing against the beach kind of thing <laughs> doesn't work. Because everyone out there kind of people we are is just hyperactive, always going yeah. and be able to sit still, your mind still going, which is a gift to be able to settle down and completely switch off. But um, yeah, there's always other forms of, uh, of reprieve. And I think being, and I can assume in lockdown, your partner was someone that, you know, you can just uh, rant to and, and open up to as much as, you, as, much as possible. And uh, having those relationships that uh, you're comfortable with to be able to do that are so essential, so essential. Yeah. And I think they're the most valuable things out there um, to be, uh, yeah, to just be in a comfortable environment to be able to do that because you wouldn't do that in an environment where you're not comfortable at a new job yeah. where you can't get that same kind of uh, uh, reflection from other people or understanding. So you get home to a, a comfortable environment, let it all out, reflect on it, and then act from there. I think it's, I think it's perfect. <laughs> So what we'll do now, man, is we're gonna um, we're gonna track this little card game that I've got for you. <clears throat> um, so for probably, which I hope be many of the listeners down in Oz, which I think a few uh, people know the the Zoop Network company, which is uh, a Connor my mate from soccer and a, and a I'll say football. Sorry, that was almost swore on the podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of the other guys down in Oz have started, which is uh, a great network and a great organization that is um getting people to just to talk about the stigma around mental health and, and having people open up which is great um but uh not so much from the international so if we can get it maybe more so it'll be fantastic uh but they've come up with these things called the real talk cards and they're basically like uh which looks like little card against humanity cards which look awesome uh and there's three categories being memories connections and explorations and i hope the guys at the zoop network don't mind if i pick out three cards and i want to share with you mate and if you don't mind answering uh these questions and um give this a bit of a go yeah yeah cool so the first one's memories let me grab one uh, it says, describe the last time that you failed. Um, oh, gosh. So yeah. at work, it's, um, we're, we're on a bit of a shortage of goalkeepers at the moment. <laughs> um, so I, I often get recruited to, uh, to go in goal. Um, and back in, back in the day, you know, I used, I used to be a, a half-decent goalkeeper, I thought, yeah. um, until, you know, I decided to go in goal against under 16s who can hit the ball like an absolute rocket. Uh, The amount of of balls I've spilled into that net uh, is embarrassing. You know, I I love getting involved. I love the, you know, the banter um, Mm -hmm. about it. If I let one through my legs or through my hands, but it does uh, hit my pride a little bit at times. (laughs) I can imagine, but I can also imagine those guys can really hit a ball. So don't don't be too harsh on yourself. (laughs) <laughs> the next next category we're going to go for is the explorations card and yep. this one says uh, reveal one of your core values and describe what it means to you uh, i think with me um putting family first so mm. like i mentioned in terms of my not necessarily extended family but my mum uncles and so on i don't really get to see them much anymore that now that i've you know relocated but I think putting my daughter and my partner first is is so important to me I think in elite sport I think sometimes as well even even as a a male in football I think it's sometimes frowned upon when we want to spend time with our family um you know especially during the season and I think I, I I don't want to get to that stage you know I always want to be there for my family I don't want to not see them on a daily basis um so i think you know 
family first for me. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, I like that, and it's because it's from my own perspective. There's it's football is like a you know it's a lifestyle for some, and it's it's an obsession mm. for some, uh, and it's amazing to have that obsession and passion for the for the role and for the sport. Um, but it is also an occupation. It's also a job. Um, and there's, you know, including work-life balance is necessary. Um, yeah. And to be succumbed by that passion and that, and that um, workforce is, you know, you want to look at it as best you can. Um, and then the last one is the connections uh, card. And it says, what is the most helpful advice you have received? Oh, helpful advice. Mm. Um, well, I can place my bets that this is going to come from your partner as well yeah just thinking <laughs> what can i say um i think oh helpful advice and I'll, I'll let you add on to this one if you can't think of anything on the top of your head i'll ask you to maybe give the bet what your best advice would be uh moving forward for guys coming out of university wanting to be in a role such as yours yeah i think yeah i'll go for that instead yeah. um love it yeah i think the most important thing is to you know, keep developing yourself as a, as a practitioner, um, as a person as well, because I think within elite sport, being uh, a likeable and, and personable character is, is really important. Um, don't give up. Keep, keep applying for roles because um, eventually it will come. Uh, I, you know, I'm, for myself, it took, like say, over a year for me to find something within the industry. Um, and now that I'm there, you know, I think it's, you know, the best decision I've made, to be honest. Yeah, good, good. Very wise words. Well, what's next for you then? Uh, next few months going ahead. What's the next steps for you? Uh, so at the moment, you know, I'm thoroughly enjoying my, my new role with Wolves, uh, with the under-16s. Um, I'm currently doing a basis qualification um, and then I'm soon going to register to do uh, a UKSCA as well. Uh, I thought... As well, I've thought about some years doing my coaching badges, um, mm-hmm. but I think that that's not going to be for a while. I'm not sure whether I'll wait till I'm a little bit older, uh, you know, before I go sort of down down that route. Okay. Um, with regards to sort of like career progression, um, one day I'd, I'd love the opportunity to be head of academy sports science. Mm-hmm. And just going back to what we spoke sort of about earlier about my philosophy, philosophy, I think that'd be a good way of me implementing, mm. you know, my ideas um, of long-term athletic development throughout an academy, really. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I hope that comes sooner rather than later, man. <laughs> good. Um, and where's, do you reckon, is the best place to reach you, mate? If people listening in want to get in contact with you, ask a few questions or get in touch. Yeah, of course. So um, LinkedIn's probably best bet. Uh, so that's yeah. Jake Reeve. Um, and then my Facebook is uh, Jake Reeve Strength. Um, and email is jakereeve.strength at gmail.com. Uh, any of those are a good ways to get in touch. Perfect, man. And I'll put those down in the show notes. And if anyone wants to, to reach out for yourself um, when you're not busy, um, cool. I'll put it down. But, mate, uh, like I said at the start of the podcast, I really do appreciate your time. I feel like I've got a lot of uh, uh, similar characteristics to yourself. So I feel like I could chat to you for a long time. But I uh, said <laughs> I'll take you about 45 to an hour. So I don't want to take too much more of your time. Enjoy your day off. Enjoy your day off, mate. Thank you again. And uh, we'll catch up soon. No worries, Sam. Good to speak to you. Good to speak to you. Cheers. So thank you to Jake for jumping on this episode, mate. Really do appreciate your time, especially on your day off, spending your morning chatting to me. 
one of the highlights of this episode was the importance of relationships and, and family. And obviously Jake was speaking about his daughter and his partner and how important they are in his life and how they help him get through the day-to-day struggles and the day-to-day little, uh, little battles. So it was awesome to highlight the importance of those people in our lives and, and especially when they're needing to be traveling to another city or another country in some stan- uh, circumstances in these roles around the world and around different organizations. So uh, it's something that should be highlighted more often. So thanks again, Jake, for touching on that. Um, thank you to Stance for providing the music for this episode. And also thank you to the podcast sponsor, uh, Team Builder, for sponsoring this episode. So I can't do uh, can't do this podcast without those two sources and those two um, those two guys. So thank you very much for that. And also, thank you for listening in. Do appreciate every single week that we uh, you get to tune in. So please like, subscribe, share, do whatever you need to do to get this podcast and these messages out there because they're really important. And um, keep speaking to awesome people week in and week out. Uh, and until the next episode, I'll speak to you then. <laughs>